I'm Dan. I'm Elaine. And this is Sublime True Crime. Hopefully, you haven't forgotten who we are. If you want to skip the general chatter this week and get straight to the story, just head to about 5 minutes 30 into the podcast. This is our first recording in, what, six months? Must be. Coming up for six months. Apologies it's been so long. We always intended to come back fairly soon. Life got in the way. In particular, my furlough finished and I went back to work and I've been absolutely batshit crazy ever since. And you've not stopped working and been manic all the way through. Yes. You would have thought that obviously being housebound effectively during a pandemic would be the perfect time to record lots of podcast episodes. But ironically, it's not turned out to be the case. It definitely hasn't been, has it? No, we haven't had any time. And then when we have briefly had time that we could have actually sat down and done it, we've both been mentally... um, Drained. I was going to say buggered, but yeah, drained. (laughs) We'll go with mentally buggered. Mentally buggered. Mentally buggered. (laughs) There's a nice mental image for everyone. Yeah. What have we done since we last recorded? Honestly, not bloody much. Work, work, work. Work, work, work. We found time to fit in the plans of an extension to the house. Woohoo! All we've got to do now is pay for the bloody thing. Woo! (laughs) Hence (laughs) having to work, work, work. Yes. Mm. It's very exciting though. I think I'm a bit more excited than Dan. There's the extension. There's no thinking about it. You definitely are. If anyone out there uses uses Trello, then oh my god, I've got a whole Trello board devoted to the extension, broken down room by room. (laughs) Uh, Trellos, if you like lists, then you will wet yourself over Trello. Basically, that's all I can say. It's just it is fantastic for making lists (laughs) and for keeping track of what you're doing. And I have numerous Trello boards for everything, including Christmas presents for people and things like that. I mean, you can use it for everything. You use it at work, don't you? You introduced it to I introduced work. it at work because I love it so much. I introduced it at work and we use it at work to keep track of um, things that have to be done on certain dates. It's brilliant. Brilliant. Anyway, <laughs> this is not an affiliate link or affiliate No, it's not. So... I, just, I just love it because yeah. <laughs> I love lists. <laughs> that just makes me think of I love lamp. <laughs> I love lamp. I love lists. I love lists. If you listen to the show and you'd like to leave us a review and we would love you to leave us a review, if we're honest, you can do that at sublimetruecrime.com forward slash rate. We'll do our best to read out the five-star reviews on the podcast where we can. Um, If you want to support the show, we have got a Patreon site, but realistically, don't go near it. There's no content going up. We would rather get some free content out in terms of some more episodes, and the Patreon thing can take a back seat. Well, it should be pointed out that we don't actually make any money at all from this. It is purely done for the joy of it, because we enjoy it. We do. And there's people out there that enjoy it as well, because we've had some cracking reviews, and it has been lovely. Yes. And, bizarrely... The number of listeners we're getting per episode has almost doubled in the six months that we've stopped doing the podcast. Oh, did you miss us? <laughs> is that what it is? It's the same um, person just going, oh, I missed them. I'll just listen to it again. When I say double, <laughs> I mean, there are more people listening now than there were back then. Twice as many. Bizarre. It's because uh, we're, I don't want to burst your bubble, but we're in a pandemic. Everyone's got, got fuck all to do. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll, do you know what? I'll take that. I'll take that. I think I do need to start this episode, though, with a very quick apology. We have had a couple of people comment about the Sublime True Crime logo, which portrays the Union flag over the UK and Ireland. As a few people have pointed out, Ireland is not a part of the UK, and it is a big, contentious issue. I can offer no defence other than partly being dumb and uneducated, and partly not really thinking. The design was my idea back in the day, and I appreciate this sounds like bullshit now, but it was originally going to show the UK flag across the UK, Ireland, and parts of Europe, just because it was a very easy way to show that we are a UK-centric podcast. This would have then cast a flag over parts of France and other countries, just, but I decided it looked better with just the British Isles in the frame. 
I also wanted to avoid cutting out Ireland entirely. And the reason for that, bizarrely, the BBC used, or maybe used historically, a weather map when they did the weather, and that showed the UK map and completely removed Ireland, which always looked really odd to me when I was growing up. Long story short, I made the logo, I left Ireland in, and then I covered it with the fingerprint and the Union flag motif before posting it absolutely everywhere and not really giving it a second thought. As soon as it was pointed out to me that I had in fact covered another country with the wrong flag and that it's a big issue with historic problems between the UK and Ireland, for those of us with a UK education, the troubles were never really taught at school. I don't know if that was the same for you. No, they never touched upon them. Long story short, I fucked up. I'm sorry. Lack of education, whether it's in the school system or just not paying attention as an adult, is no excuse. I have amended the logo, some time ago in fact, and re-uploaded it everywhere. For some reason it didn't pull through to a lot of the sites. I've now redone it again and it seems to be pulling through to the main sites that we need it to. We are on it, believe me. To our Irish listeners, please accept my apologies. To anyone that was offended, please also accept my apologies too. The reason I mention it today is that today's episode comes from Northern Ireland and that reminded me about the logo issue and I genuinely can't remember if I apologised before we locked down and went offline and I would rather apologise twice than not at all. Moving on. This week, the case of almost the perfect murder. You'll have to bear with us on this one because it's got lots of names in it. The two sets of names that are most important and the ones that you need to remember are the two sets of newlyweds that we introduced to you first. Trevor and Hazel Buchanan and Colin and Leslie Howell. Let's begin. 18 years of lies and deceit came to a head on Thursday the 28th of January 2009 with four simple words. Today is the day. Uttered by Kyle Howell to her husband of almost 13 years in the kitchen of their family home, it would lead to two former lovers being imprisoned, two historic suicides being investigated and revealing the very unchristian nature of a seemingly very Christian man. But that's where today's story starts to come to a conclusion. Let's jump back to where it all began. 28 years earlier, back in 1981, life had been very different. 28 years earlier, back in 1981, life had been very different. On the 11th of July of that year, 18-year-old Hazel Elkin and 22-year-old Trevor Buchanan, a Royal Ulster Constabulary Constable, that's a mouthful. I'll say, try saying that drunk. Wow. Got married at Omar Baptist Church. They go on to have children, Lisa and David. Just under two years later, on the 16th of June, 1983, Colin Howell, a recently qualified dentist, married nurse Leslie Clark. The pair are committed Christians who played an active part in their local Baptist church in Coleraine. They go on to have four children together, Matthew, Lauren, Daniel and Jonathan. In 1986, Hazel and Trevor Buchanan moved to Charnwood Park in Coleraine and joined the Coleraine Baptist Church. It was at the church playgroup that Hazel Buchanan met Colin Howe for the first time. Hazel was described as glamorous and was reported a regular on the well-heeled social scene of the RUC policing community along the northern coast of Northern Ireland. As time went on, she was often pictured in the local press, attending charity dinners wearing figure-hugging ball gowns and smiling. By the summer of 1990... Which is admittedly four years after they met, if that counts or anything, which it probably doesn't. Howell and Buchanan are having an affair. 
It doesn't go unnoticed and they are soon confronted by Pastor John Hansford and subsequently they both agree to counselling. And if, like me, you're wondering either how the pastor knew or you're keen to know just how much of an effect having your pastor tell you off when you're committed Christians attending church every week has, well, at some point in 1990, Hazel had an abortion in England. Now, I don't claim to know too much about Northern Ireland, its relationships with the religion or the troubles, but even I know that having an abortion is a big fucking deal there. Yes. The relationship between the two lovers is said to falter and resume. Being good Christians... (coughs) (laughs) Synchronised Both both confess to their partners. By the end of the year, Colin's wife Leslie was using prescription drugs due to the stress of her husband cheating. On the 7th of May 1991... Leslie Howell's dad, Harry Clark, was found dead. We can only guess at what an effect this had on Leslie. And if Leslie was suffering due to the death of her father and the infidelity of her partner, Hazel's husband Trevor also seemed to be struggling to come to terms with the cheating ways of his wife. Just over a week later, on the 18th of May, Colin called police trying to find his wife and asking if anyone had reported her being in an accident. He told officers that following an argument she had left the house the previous night with Trevor, He added that she had been drinking. He also spoke to a church elder and asked him to help search for his wife. They didn't need to search for long. Later that morning, near holiday homes overlooking the Atlantic in the resort of Castle Rock, Trevor Buchanan and Leslie Howell, the innocent parties who had been cheated on by their partners, were found dead together in a car. Trevor was slumped in the front while Leslie was found in the back seat clutching pictures of her children. A hosepipe led from the exhaust into the interior of the car. When you're part of a close-knit religious community, the horror and stigma of discovering that your partner is having an affair, more so with someone in the same group, must have been hard to bear. If Colin and Hazel could live with the guilt of their actions, it seemed Leslie and Trevor could not. Their suicides were noted by the authorities and confirmed by a coroner. Their bodies were laid to rest and the shocked local community carried on as best they could including Colin and Hazel, who, perhaps naturally, continued their relationship. As a result of his wife's death, Colin Howell inherited £212,446 left in her will. That's a really precise figure, and I can't tell where it's come from, but I assume the figure must include her share of their home and her pension, maybe? Perhaps. Yeah. He also got her father's £27,000 estate, as well as £120,000 life insurance and £54,635 from an endowment policy. Yeah, safe to say, lots of money. A lot of money, especially back in those days. Yeah. He used this money to pay off debts, including his mortgage. He also developed his dental practice in Bally Money. In 1995, with their relationship still going strong, Colin Howell proposed to Hazel Buchanan. The newly engaged couple visited two dentistry practices in Scotland with a view to resettling in Scotland with the six kids from their previous relationships. But despite everything they had been through together, their relationship finished for good in 1996. The year after they got engaged. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? With a history of infidelity, personal loss and failed relationships, you'd be forgiven if you thought that Colin may have stepped back from his social life for a while. But that's not the case. In December that year, Colin met Kyle Howell, who, despite having a man's name, would go on to become his second wife. Another good Christian, the couple met at a singles night and through Bible study class. So he wasn't just taking us a bit of a step back, he was actively actively pursuing relationships. Kyle was a divorced New Yorker with two children of her own. 
She'd fled an abusive marriage in the States before moving to Northern Ireland to study Irish history at the University of Ulster. Wasting no time, by February the following year, just a few weeks after meeting, they were engaged, marrying in May. Imagine marrying someone you met less than six months before. I just can't imagine it. It's mind-blowing. The couple must have celebrated in the way that all newlyweds should, as within a fortnight of the wedding they were expecting a baby, which would bring the total number of children between them to seven. That's just ridiculous. Who'd have that many children? I know, right? And as if having seven kids together isn't batshit mentally enough, and I say that as a dad of four, stepdad of two myself, the newlyweds would go on to have five kids together. Bloody hell. Yeah. Seeing as the couple went on to divorce some years later, what else could they possibly have been doing with their time when they weren't shagging relentlessly and breeding like rabbits? Well, Colin, for one, was still running a successful dental practice, busying himself with tooth decay, fillings, sexual assaults on unconscious patients, and teaching youngsters how to brush their teeth properly to get rid of plaque. Wait, go back a second. What's that? One of these things is not like the other? You're absolutely correct. Not that Kyle, or seemingly anyone, was aware of it at the time, but Colin was apparently regularly abusing women in his dental chair while they'd been knocked out for treatment. Classy guy. Oh, do you know, that type of thing just is such a fear, I think, yeah. for most women. And probably most men too, to be fair, if they really thought about it. Yeah. That, you know, you're unconscious and vulnerable. Well, you're putting all your trust in someone, aren't you? Mm. I just think... Oh, Christ. Creepy. In between making babies and abusing the trust of his patients... Colin also had time for a heart-to-heart with his wife. A year after the wedding, with their newborn baby still a baby in arms, Colin admitted that he had a confession to make to his wife. Your heart would absolutely sink, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? Less than a year. They'd just finished dinner, the elder kids were playing outside, and Kyle was feeding their seven-month-old baby son, Eric. Kyle was still recovering from her labour seven months previously, which had caused an infection. Seven months of recovery! And she went on to have four more kids. No, thank you. Jesus Christ. Colin confessed that, along with his former lover, Hazel, they had killed Trevor Buchanan and Leslie Howe. Oh, my God. How would you react to that? I don't know. I, I, I love the way that he's waited until they've had a, a baby to well, yeah, reveal this. So, you know, you're proper trapped, aren't you? Married, baby, by mm. the way. And how would Kyle react to that? Well, Kyle, a Sunday school teacher, later revealed that Colin had, quote wanted to be fair to her, end quote, and spoke of the difficulties during his first marriage, revealing to his wife that Leslie had had abortions and drank. Kyle was, quote, freaked out and scared, end quote, by the confession, and told her husband that he needed to go to the police. Colin, in turn, urged her to take a deep breath and think of the children. Oh my God, yes. Think of the children, especially the six kids who lost their mum or dad at the hands of the murderer that is currently confessing to you. Oh, fucking boils my blood. Kyle turned to what she knew best, asking friends in their Ballymooney church, Barn Christian Fellowship, what if Colin has done something? The response was apparently, quote, I don't want to hear it, it's before the cross. You shouldn't tell on other people before that time in their life. End quote. How very Christian. Unbelievable. Colin Howell promised to go to the police, especially once Kyle said that she would stand by him, visit him in prison and look after the children until he got out. That is to say, he would go to police once he'd set up their financial security, which would start with the sale of his dental practice. He's just so giving and thoughtful of others, isn't he? Mm. In fact, Colin mused that rather than going to police, he should make a public confession in front of both of their families and their church elders. Kyle's parents were due to fly in from America in September. What better time to confess, said Colin. 
Oh, I don't. I can't. Can't even. <laughs> your it's parents. Fascinating. Yeah, your your in laws are coming over from America, and you go. Do you know what? When they get here, we'll put them up in the spare room, make them some dinner, confess to the murders, and then carry on with life. Yes. A reservation was made at the Barrondale Hotel in Newcastle, County Down, for the declaration. A declaration which the couple believed would inevitably end in an arrest. You would hope so. Hmm. The day before the meeting, though, Colin received a phone call from his dad, who told his son that he would not be able to make the meeting. So as a God-fearing Christian, wanting to do the right thing, what do you think that Colin Howell did? If you answered, he took it as a sign from God that now was not the right time to confess... Give yourself a gold star and a pat on the back. And I don't know about you, but I think I would need more than just a relative cancelling a meeting to convince me that something was a sign from God. God's all-powerful. If he wants to communicate with you, he can do it any way he wanted. Personally, I'd want a girl to come up to me in church with a message from God or something. The following Sunday, whilst at church, a girl came up to Colin to deliver a message. Colin, I just don't know why I'm telling you this, but your sins are forgiven and forgotten by God. Hurrah! Oh my goodness. Thanks to this divine intervention, Colin no longer needed to confess. God knows how he explained why he booked a meeting at a hotel for his friends and church elders, though. That's never revealed. Kyle said that he blackmailed her to keep his secret for the sake of their children, threatening to kill himself if she didn't. And so life continued. It wasn't until 2007 that things started to change. This was the year that Colin and Leslie's eldest son, Matthew, aged 22 at the time, died whilst on university placement in St. Petersburg after falling four floors in the stairwell of an apartment block. Oh, gosh. Mm. A year later, in 2008, with a mounting unpaid tax bill, apparently this was despite having taken more than £200,000 in treatments that he didn't complete, so who knows what he was doing with the money, Colin sold his share in two dental practices. With the proceeds, he chose to repay his tax bill to alleviate the stress caused by having the taxman breathing down his neck. Just kidding. With the proceeds, he instead invested money in an expedition to recover up to £8 million in gold that had apparently been buried in caves in the Philippines by Japanese troops in the 1940s. Fuck me. <laughs> Spending an initial £100,000 in the scheme to find Yamashita's gold in the Philippines, Hal was told that the gold was buried under booby-trap tunnels. After investing a total of £350,000, his total return was a few brass ammunition boxes containing silver coins worth about £30. Oh, how do you feel? It was only when he flew out to check on his investment that he discovered he had been conned. What a surprise. Mm -hmm. It was this that finally triggered something in Colin. Whether it was pure guilt or, more likely, fear of what God was going to do to him, he decided to confess. A few days later, on Thursday the 28th of January 2009, Kyle told her husband simply, today is the day. Colin disagreed. It didn't feel like the right moment for him and he probably wanted another day to work it out. No, Kyle replied. This is the moment. We'll never know what the final straw was for Kyle, but there's plenty to choose from. Fresh revelations of affairs, the abuse of patients which he may have known about, or the loss of their financial security. It could even have been, I don't know, him being responsible for two fucking murders. Speaking to his church elders, Howell took their advice and handed himself into the local police. He was interviewed by Coleraine police two days later when he confessed again, telling detectives that he hadn't been alone in the plan and that Hazel Stewart had colluded with him. He even said that the lovers had met up at least twice before the murders to prepare and that he gave Hazel sedatives to use on her husband, Trevor. As the day wore on, Hal gave details of the events of that night. 
He and his then-wife Leslie had been celebrating their youngest son's birthday with a party. Once everyone had gone home, Leslie settled down on the sofa. Their four kids, aged between nine months and six years old, were all asleep in separate rooms. Leslie, who, let's not forget, had been drinking and taking prescription drugs due to the stress of her husband cheating, fell asleep on the sofa. Seeing his chance, Colin Howell grabbed a garden hose and attached one end to his car exhaust using a baby bottle teat to hold it in place. He then turned on the engine and ran the hose through the house. As he approached Leslie to start his murder attempt, she woke up and cried out for her son Matthew. Howell manipulated himself on top of her and pulled a duvet cover over her head, pushing the hose into her face and holding it there until she died. Once he was sure that she was dead, he dressed her and carried her to the boot of his car. In an attempt to cover up the body, he put a blanket over her head and a bike on top of the body before calling his lover to tell her, quote, I've finished with Leslie, end quote. Finished with or finished off? Fucking cop What an absolute shitbag to do that. And his children, <clears throat> their children, asleep. Yeah. Literally rooms away. I know it shouldn't make a difference with the kids' ages, <sighs> but, I mean, from under one year to six, four of them. I know. <sighs> Unbelievable. He then drove from his home in Knocklade Park to Charnwood Park, where Trevor and Hazel lived, some four miles away. When he got there, Trevor was asleep in bed, and according to some reports, he'd also been drugged. Colin Howell began a similar setup to before, running a garden hose from his car through to the bedroom. And whilst it's never specifically mentioned in any of the research I did, we can only assume that Hazel Buchanan must have been on the plan in order for Colin to gain entry. Absolutely. It's clearly been planned. Yeah. Once again, though, his victim stirred as the attack began. Being stronger than Howell's wife had been, Trevor Buchanan fought back as a struggle ensued. Howell soon got the upper hand, though, trapping Trevor's arms inside the quilt before pulling it over his head he then pushed the hose towards his face. Trevor's body soon stopped struggling. Once he was dead, Colin Howard stepped outside to catch his breath, dizzy from the fumes that he'd inhaled. Oh, the poor bastard. Oh, <clears throat> I feel so sorry for him. I'm a bit sick. A few minutes later, he returned, dressed the still warm body that lay in bed and carried it to the car. Hazel Stewart, with her two young children still asleep in another room, threw the hose pipe on the fire to get rid of the evidence and then cleaned the room that her husband had just been murdered in. Howell then drove to a garage, which had belonged to Leslie's recently deceased father. Once there, he put on a pair of surgical gloves and rearranged the two bodies to make it seem like a double suicide, placing Trevor in the driver's seat. Putting the body of his wife in the back, he surrounded her with family photos and left a personal stereo playing, before running a length of vacuum hose from the exhaust through a gap left by the car window. Turning the engine on, he then left using a bike he'd taken and escaped the scene. The whole gruesome ordeal had taken less than four hours. During his police interview, Colin Howell said, quote, I know I lived in a world of believing I could do anything, like a fantasy world where I could do anything, and so I probably believed I could do it and get away with it. End quote. The thing is, he did. He, did. he mm. got away with it for such a long time. He did. After revealing exactly what happened on the night of the murders, he went on to draw out a sketch of the two murder scenes for the detectives. The crudely drawn sketches clearly show the floor plan of both homes, the route from the car exhaust to each of the victims, details of where the garden hose used to kill was placed, and the fireplace where one of the hoses was burnt. On the same day that Howe was confessing to police, detectives had also brought in Hazel Buchanan for questioning. In an interview carried out by DS Ferris, who, don't forget, was armed with the information given by Colin Howell, he said to Hazel, quote, You were part of a plan, Hazel, which was to murder two people, 
The plan was carried out and it was near the perfect murder. You got close, very close, but it doesn't always work out like that and it has come to a head this week. You showed no regard for your partners. You showed no regard for their families and you certainly showed no regard for your own children. And you made that decision that you could live with your two children who were only nine and ten years of age and you agreed to a plan that resulted in the father of your two children being murdered in the very house where they lay sleeping. Can it get any more cold? Colder than that, Hazel? End quote. She replied simply, no, no. D.S. Ferris continued, quote, Colin Howell could not have done this on his own, and you could not have done it on your own, Hazel. This had to be a joint enterprise between the two of you. The two of you had to work together to make this plan come to fruition. Do you accept that? End quote. To which she replied, yes. In the last of 15 taped interviews, she apologised for her actions, crying as she did so. For her part, Stuart firmly placed the blame on Howell. Quote, he was very controlling. Maybe I was easy prey and that's how I look back on it and see that. He's a very calculating person, a very clever guy. I'm not very bright, unfortunately, but he was a step ahead of the whole time. I was scared. I thought, if I say something against this, he'll kill me. End quote. She continued this defence when she got to court insisting that she was forced to help dispose of the pipes used in the killings out of fear of what Howell might do to her or her children. The following month, in February 2009, both Colin Howell and Hazel Stewart were charged with the murders of their former partners. Both, bizarrely, denied the charges. How can you deny the charges if he's come forward and confessed and she's agreed that she did it? I can only assume it's a legal thing where they think they can get a lower sentence or something, but Mm. it baffles me. Yeah. Two months later, after promising to stick by him, visit him in prison and raise his kids, Colin Howell's second wife, Kyle, Kyle Jorgensen, gave a big fuck you to her murderous husband, filed for divorce, took her kids and returned to America. Fucking good on you. And you should have done it a decade earlier. I do wonder if maybe he was. I mean, I know Hazel saying him being controlling and whatnot, maybe as a way to reduce her responsibility in it but maybe he was and maybe that's why Kyle had stayed until he's gone to prison yep no I can understand that mm. um, but I do think she should have shot him in when she found out I think but so. again we don't know the dynamics of that relationship and it does sound like he was an arsehole so. it does on the 5th of July the following year while still awaiting his trial for murder Colin Howell was charged with 17 counts of indecently assaulting six women at his dental practice over a 10 year period from 1998 to 2008 and that's only the ones they found out about. I know. If you, if he was your dentist, you would permanently be wondering whether something had happened and you just didn't remember, weren't aware of it. I don't even know how you'd prove it. No. On the 4th of October, Howell pleaded guilty to indecently assaulting three women patients at his surgery on dates between July and December 2008. In six months? In just a six-month period? Yeah. He denied 14 other charges of indecent assault against the same three women and three others. The murder case was finally heard at Belfast Crown Court in November 2010. Days before the trial began, Colin Howell changed his plea to guilty for both murders. So he dragged the families of the dead, including his own children, to 18 months of claiming to be innocent. The guy just gets more and more of an arsehole. I think that is a bit I just can't understand. Is God, as a child who's then grown up to be an adult and knowing that your, your mother or father had supposedly committed suicide, to then find out that actually your other parent who has raised you had had killed had killed them. Yeah. How do you get past that? No, God knows. And then for them to claim that they didn't do it, and then right at the last minute to, oh, it boggles the brain. 
When the case reached court, Howell testified against Hazel, saying, quote, I was the mastermind behind the plot and the plan. I was the one who had the intelligence to put the plan together. It could not have happened without her cooperation. She didn't say no. There was no objection to me being there, end quote. The court also heard how Howell had drugged Hazel Stewart in an experiment to test the doses she would later use on their murder victims. This feels like a no-win for Hazel. Dosage too big, she dies. Dosage just right or too small, she lives and she gets to be part of a double murder bid. Am I reading that wrong? It reminds me of the people in foul videos who are the willing guinea pigs when someone wants to kick a bottle of water off the head or jump over their body on a BMX. You're either going to end up getting twatted and hurt or someone else is going to take all the glory. Yeah, it's a ridiculous position to be in, isn't it? But Howell must have got the doses right first time because as Hazel Stewart lay unconscious in his dentist chair, he had sex with her. Stay classy, Colin. I wonder if that's where his uh, penchant began for that. <sighs> no, I, I, no, I don't think it can be. You can't, surely you can't play and shrug someone out and then go, oh, actually, this is quite sexy. You must have those sorts. Maybe, I yeah. Hmm. Have you never drugged someone and fucked them in a dentist chair? I'm not really at liberty to comment. No, but... I don't feel like you have experience to really draw upon for that. At least I hope not. I don't, I promise you. And I'm not even just saying that for the podcast. I really don't. <laughs> On the 18th of November, Colin Howell was found guilty of both murders and was sentenced to life imprisonment. He was told he must serve a minimum 21-year jail term. Minimum 21 years. Minimum 21 years. Fucker gets out after... Oh. Mm-hmm. Howell's ex-lover Hazel, Nee Elkin, formerly married to Trevor Buchanan, currently married to David Stewart, I don't think that's the Eurythmic guy, no. was tried for the murders with a trial beginning on the 7th of Feb 2011 at Coleraine Crown Court. She claimed in court she acted under duress. Between the 21st and 23rd of February, the court heard the taped interviews that Hazel had given to police. In one, she can be heard saying that she wishes she was dead. In another, she is heard crying as she tells detectives, quote, the biggest mistake of my life was ever meeting Colin Howell and I have paid the price, end quote. Well, firstly, you haven't paid the price. Secondly, if you wish you were dead, there's someone you know really fucking well that could probably help you out with that. Yeah, and he knows exactly what amount of drugs to give you. <laughs> <sighs> Towards the end of the trial, both sets of lawyers give their closing arguments with Hazel's defence lawyer telling the court that his client could not have been in a joint enterprise with Howell who regarded her as, quote, weak, vulnerable and easy to control, end quote. On the 2nd of March 2011, at 10.47am, a judge sent a jury of nine men and three women out to consider the verdict on Stuart. Just over two hours later, they returned their verdict. Hazel was found guilty of both murders and sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 18 years. The trial judge stated that Hazel Stewart could have prevented her then-husband's death. Fingers were pointed at the police for their investigation into the apparent suicide, especially overlooking some facts, such as the driver's window being open. Which I think is harsh, because even if it was fully open, you'd still assume there'd be enough carbon monoxide knocking around the car to kill two people. Mm. Especially if they are wanting to be killed, so they're going to stay in the car, regardless. It was also noted that Trevor Buchanan's leg was hanging out of the open car door. All right, that is a little hard to defend, that one. Lastly, one witness had told police that Howell had previously tried to murder his wife. All right, that's it. I'm not defending him anymore. In fact, this came up again during police interviews with Howell, albeit seemingly after the trial. On the 16th of February 2011, he admitted to a detective that he had flicked his bathing wife with a live electric cable a month before her death. Um, this proves that we haven't gone through this before. The way you just what read the that. actual fuck? <laughs> I don't care who you are, what you do in life, or how stuck you think you may be. If someone does that to you... 
you get the fuck away from them. You're not stuck. If someone's got a live electrical cable coming at you in the bath, yeah, yeah, you need to get away from that fucking situation. Fucking hell. On the 17th of May 2011, Howell pleaded guilty to sexually assaulting nine female patients in his surgery over a period of several years. I can't find any details of the extra prison time, and the only thing ever mentioned is that he was consequently stripped of his National Health Service pension. So does being a murderer not stop that then? That's a genuine question. Presumably not if it's not related to it. So I would imagine that he's probably been... um... Oh, because he didn't murder them in the dentist chair. But because he did... Sort them in a dentist chair. Yeah, so he's probably been struck off mm. from being an NHS dentist or from the medical council, whatever it is, and therefore he doesn't get to keep his pension. That makes more sense. Still a little bit fucked up. Yes. You know, but okay. Since the trial, Colin Howe's ex-brother-in-law has since accused him of murdering his father-in-law, Harry Clark. And that's funny because when I read that, I thought, oh, he died uh, 11 days before the others. One of mm. was linked. This allegation doesn't appear to have led to anything, though. His second ex-wife, Kyle, was also investigated at the time following Kyle's arrest in January 2009. In 2013, it was announced that she would not face any charges. That's four years of torture, though. I know. It emerged that Colin Howell had refused to testify against his ex-wife, saying, quote, If it wasn't for her, I might not have had the courage to go through with all of this. End quote. Courage it took prick. fucking long enough. And in fact, he didn't do that. It wasn't until she <clears throat> finally said, no, come on, you yeah. must. I suppose that's what he's getting at. Yeah. She hadn't insisted he wouldn't have done, but... He still put it off fucking long enough. Really did. Kyle's comments on her ex-husband are less positive. Quote, I really looked up to him as a teacher. His biblical knowledge was amazing. He knew it all. But the faith I believe he's been living is really very hypocritical. He would preach on about what kind of people we ought to be, about sexual immorality. This was going on for years. I had no idea. He could do it right to your face. He was very deceptive. I'm having trouble really seeing one person I've known for 12 years as a good father and loving husband, but really it's like seeing a completely different person in the same skin. He abused patients. He's a compulsive liar. He was an adulterer in our marriage and murdered two people. Everyone thought he was this great Christian guy, but they were wrong. He was a monster. End quote. She went on to describe her children as, quote, my number one priority. Everything I do, I do for them. End quote. And finishes with, quote, the healing still goes on. Now I sleep very well at night, end quote. And that is the case of the almost perfect murder. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are those poor, poor children, all of them. And I mean, I know that they're all obviously grown up by time he finally admitted and he and Hazel went to prison. But even in your 20s, having your parent go to prison for the murder of your other parent must be horrifically scarring. How old were the kids from the, the second marriage with Kyle, though? They weren't that they wouldn't much. wouldn't be that old, no. no. But you're right, whatever age, it's still fucking horrible. Yes. Arsehole. What are your thoughts? Let us know. You can email us. Dan at sublimetruecrime.com or Elaine at sublimetruecrime.com or you can reach us via the Facebook page. Just search for Sublime True Crime. If you're enjoying this series, please leave us a review. (laughs) I wrote this months ago. Five-star review would be as welcome as a COVID-19 vaccine, please. (laughs) Uh, We're almost there. Give it a few months, hopefully. Oh, please. As it helps us to reach more people. If you do want to leave us a review, you can do it at sublimetruecrime.com forward slash rate. And we will do our best to read out the five-star reviews on the podcast where we can. If you could think of any cases you would like us to cover, please let us know. Until next time, though, goodbye. 
goodbye stay safe